This morning we'll be discussing Proverbs chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open there and just uh, stay there. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, And as I begin, uh, I'm reminded of a passage in James chapter 1, specifically verse 5, where it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So the word reproach there in the Greek is the word onidizo, uh, which, is the word, which is a word that means disapproval. In other words, James is explaining that if you ask God for wisdom, he will distribute it generously without disapproval. And picture our Lord. Right? Try to imagine God's disposition. Right? With an infinite supply of wisdom. Excited and happy to hand out wisdom to those who ask for it. He's not stingy with wisdom. He's looking for the opportunity to give wisdom to those who ask for it. Uh, So he's not stingy, and on the contrary, his stock overflows, right? He has a, 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 a vast amount of wisdom to hand out, right? He is an eternal being, and his wisdom is eternal as well. Now, considering the generosity of God when it comes to giving away wisdom so freely, you know, you you must wonder why the world often lacks wisdom. And the answer to that is found right in the beginning of that verse in James 1 verse 5. It reads, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And it's that let him ask God part that people have a problem with. It's those very instructions that mankind have an issue with. Uh, And this is due to pride in man's heart, right? Mankind in their natural state would prefer to consult with themselves or with other unbelievers than to ever consider what their creator has to say about a situation. Now surely there are people out there who may be considered wise and have not for once asked God for wisdom and maybe their experience or their life experience has given them Uh, wisdom on a specific area of life. And if we define wisdom generally as possessing the quality of knowledge or or obtaining good judgment, if that's how we define uh, wisdom, then a person may, may gain such thing through life experience. And they may believe that they have gained this wisdom without God. However, it is God who establishes the standards of true knowledge and of good judgment in the truest and ultimate sense, regardless if the person denies the reality that it was God who um, allowed them to obtain that level of wisdom, and regardless of whether they reject God. An unbeliever may be a careful observer of all things for the sake of gaining wisdom, but they always fall short of being truly wise if they fail to see God's hand through it all. And instead of their limited wisdom being praised, the scriptures categorize all kinds of godless wisdom as foolishness. It just falls in that category. Because how wise can you be if the wisdom, the so-called wisdom that you gain is one that uh, you can't make any connection to the creator, the God of the universe. And so the scriptures categorize this kind of wisdom as foolishness. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 1.20, where it says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And then Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And so from this we see that the word of God is not calling men and women to be wise in any way that is separate from God and his holy word. Right? Don't seek to be wise apart from theology apart from Scripture, apart from knowing God. The Bible calls that foolishness. 
Uh, and, and for this reason, it's a misuse of the Bible to simply pick it up and read isolated wisdom passages for your own personal application. If you are a person who has rejected the existence of God and have rejected his son, Jesus Christ, by whom wisdom is most clearly exegeted. Right? Wisdom is most clearly exegeted in the person of Christ. And this is significant because in this world, there are many voices of so-called wisdom that cries out to all of us, right? And this is, uh, this is what we hear constantly, right? The wisdom of the world constantly uh, being thrown at you, right? The artists of today cry out a kind of wisdom, right, that they offer to everyone. Authors, our authors today, the directors, the poets of today, they all offer a certain wisdom to our culture, right? And even our parents, our grandparents, uncles and aunts, siblings, they all offer some sort of wisdom. Even popular evangelical preachers offer wisdom. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, whose voice should we heed to? How do we determine uh, what counsel, what wisdom is, is one that we ought to receive as Christians? Sadly, many people really can't discern the differences, right? A, a person can sit under the preaching of a false preacher who, does, who chooses not to preach the word of God, but to give uh, his own wisdom that he conjured up with his own vain imagination, and he offers this wisdom to the people, and he does so apart from the word of God. And some people take that person, and they, he categorizes him with the rest of the gospel preachers, or the biblical preachers, right? And so oftentimes, even Christians can't discern what is the wisdom of God and what is the wisdom of man, and they can't discern it. And so it's important for us to hear the voice and know what is the voice of God, uh, particularly uh, what is the wisdom of God. And again, like I said, sadly, many people really can't discern. This is a call for the church especially to develop a stronger discernment on what is wisdom from God and what isn't wisdom from God. And in today's chapter, we'll get a taste of what true godly wisdom is. And you'll see in your handout, um, you'll see four points there that I think help uh, summarize this chapter and guide us into understanding the wisdom that truly comes from God. You'll see, number one, wisdom's voice goes out. It's available. Number two, wisdom's autobiography. And this is where we get more into a description of what godly wisdom is in comparison to worldly wisdom. Uh, point number three, wisdom was there in the beginning. It was always there with God. And number four, wisdom unto life. Let's begin with... Uh, Number one, wisdom's voice goes out. Uh, this is covering verses 1 through 11. Uh, can someone read that? Proverbs 8, 1 through 11. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gate at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you, simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. You go through... Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay, from 9 to they 11. They are all plain to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Thank you. <clears throat> so as I said before, uh, we have many imposter wisdoms uh, being voiced. However, we read 
in this passage that the true wisdom cries out, right? Right from the beginning, the, this wisdom, the true wisdom, the wisdom of God is crying out. And the wise father, who's the one that uh, is sort of narrating this, this section, right? We, we know that it, it, this whole uh, beginning of Proverbs has been a conversation between the wise father and the son. And uh, here in chapter 8, the wise father continues, right? He continues to counsel the son and he tells him, does not wisdom call, right? It says, does not wisdom cry out and understanding give forth her voice? Now, now here we see once again that wisdom is, the way that wisdom is being described here, wisdom is personified as almost as if it was a person, right? It's personified as a person. And this is something that the author has been doing since chapter one. And also you may have noticed that the, this lady wisdom, this personified uh, wisdom is also called understanding, right? You see that in the second uh, part of verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? This is the same person, wisdom and understanding. Um, and, and they're used interchangeably. Now, uh, verse 2 and 3 tells us the location where wisdom calls out. You see that there? It says, On the heights, besides the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand besides the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries out. Right? So wisdom is there, and she's crying out to the people. Now, this description of the location is, is really just a metaphor. Uh, I hope that's obvious as you read it. Uh, it isn't a specific place that people all over the world should travel to in order to find where wisdom is. Um, however, there's a purpose for why the wise father chooses to use this kind of description, right? It says that wisdom is beside the way. Uh, some, version, some versions say on the path. That's where wisdom is. Now up to this point in the book of Proverbs, the way or the path has been a frequent metaphor and it stands for a life journey. Right? And so by mentioning the way, the wise father is informing us that as people live their lives, they will encounter lady wisdom. Right? As you, each one of you, live your life, you will encounter Lady Wisdom. And when you encounter her, you either take her in her words or you plug your ears and ignore her instruction. Right? Wisdom will appear and you will come to a point where you either make a wise decision by following wisdom or you choose a lifestyle of, of ignoring wisdom altogether. We also see the words on the heights, right? So the fact that wisdom is beside the path on a high place, right, on the heights, illustrates that wisdom intends to be heard by all who pass by. That's wisdom's intention. It's there for every person. It's there for everyone to, to hear and heed her words. And oftentimes we, we, we uh, come across someone who we, we, we can tell they're not wise, they're not living according to wisdom, and you wonder, you know, maybe wisdom just never came to them. Uh, maybe they never had a chance to learn wisdom. But according to this passage, we see that wisdom has been made available to all peoples, and that's the point of that, that illustration. Uh, a person who, cho who, who does not walk in wisdom, it cannot be or should not be taken as merely an ignorant person. I mean, that, that could be maybe one a part of the description of that individual. But when I say that they shouldn't be regarded as ignorant, what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate is that an, a person who, who does not walk in wisdom is a person who has chosen not to walk in wisdom. Right? Wisdom has made herself available, and a person walking without wisdom is a person who has made a moral decision to do that. Right? And this is why God holds them accountable. Because wisdom is proclaimed from nature. Right? Nature reveals the wisdom of God. And wisdom, uh, according to this description, is, is yelling and screaming and trying to get your attention while you choose, and that's the key word, you choose to live uh, in ignorance and, and rebel against the wisdom of God. And so that, that's the... That's a key thing that we have to grasp from that. Uh, 
The use of crossroads and gates in front of the town illustrates wisdom crying out to people in busy places where people are, right? In other words, did I see a hand somewhere? Is that what? Oh, I'm sorry, Will. Yeah, I didn't mean to ignore you. Um, Thank you. Wisdom, like everyone, it's part of general revelation. Um, yes. But wisdom is fully revealed in Christ, and Christ and the entirety of the gospel is not necessarily general revelation. Right. So, right. So, where's yeah. the line? Where's the line? Yeah. So, what I would say is, their wisdom is made available, but the fullness of wisdom is is not. Right. So what we receive from general revelation, and just to define our terms here, uh, what we mean by general revelation is that God, and we read this in Romans 1, God has revealed himself to all peoples. No one's without excuse. There isn't a a group of people out there who've never heard of so-called God or the God of of Scripture. They have have, uh, the knowledge of God through the revelation of nature, and the Bible tells us that God has revealed himself through nature. And when he talks about uh, general revelation, it's just that, that wisdom is out there, it's made available, but the fullness of it isn't, right? That's, we understand the fullness of wisdom in the person of Christ. And that isn't revealed in nature, right? That is revealed in the scriptures alone. Uh, and uh, God... Um, illuminates the heart of man in order for them to receive the words of scripture and in that a person can continue to grow in wisdom uh, and and to some extent experience the fullness of it not not in this world obviously but uh, they grow in that wisdom uh, in a way that the unbeliever can never can never grow in apart from the the special revelation that's found in the gospel so I don't know if that that sort of answers the question a little bit yeah, yeah. okay yeah. So, uh, again, the problem isn't that lady wisdom is hidden somewhere and it's hard to find, and, and the problem is with, you know, the problem is that we can't tap into it. Uh, the problem is with the people who ignore her, right? Wisdom, according to this illustration, has made herself available to people. She goes where the people are, right? She isn't some ancient secret. Uh, she is present and is calling for your attention. Uh, and what are the words that she cries out? You see that in verse 4. Uh, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. And already we see wisdom uh, stating that her message is for uh, man, right? Both men and women. And she calls the simple-minded ones to learn prudence, which means to learn good judgment. And she then calls fools to learn sense. And she's calling out, she's calling out the naive, right? She's calling out the immature. Now, uh, prudence there is when a person... uh, carefully considers a situation before rushing in, right? A person who is prudent is someone who thinks through something, uh, carefully considers a situation. Now, those who lack prudence are those who are big dreamers, right, but lack the character, lack the maturity to consider each step of the way, right? And you've seen them, uh, a person who thinks big and dreams big, but uh, you can see that they're, they're too immature to, to follow through that that goal, right? A prudent person is someone who thinks through. Uh, Someone who comes across as a person with big plans, but you can tell that they're too immature to handle them. Uh, Prudence is the cure for simple-mindedness. And wisdom here is crying out to those who lack prudence. Verses 6 through 7 begins to reveal who she is and what she does, right? She speaks noble things, speaks what is right, says there. She utters truth and wickedness is an abomination to her lips. Right? This, is the, this is a key identifying mark of true wisdom versus false wisdom. Right? True wisdom from God utters righteousness and truth, which 
we have to conclude is only found in God's law. And this tells us that wisdom is in line with walking in God's holy statutes. Right? Verses 8 through 9, I think, expresses that more clearly. It says, all the words of my mouth, this is wisdom talking, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Now, moving along, we see that wisdom then warns the listener that she is better than the other things that man considers to be of top value. Right? She says, take my instruction, is verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Ah, this is a powerful statement there, uh, the end of verse 11. It states that wisdom is better than jewels, but more powerfully, it says this, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And so wisdom is making such a statement because she knows that it isn't always obvious to man that wisdom is more valuable than other desires. Right? In the midst of a temptation, just imagine yourself in the midst of a temptation, uh, it always seems as if wisdom is the first thing that flees from you, is it not? You know, right when you're in, a, in the middle of a temptation, the first thing that leaves is wisdom. All of a sudden you become irrational. And that's what sin does. When you sin, uh, your brain doesn't function right. It really doesn't. Uh, things go wrong. You're not uh, living and thinking the way you were created to think and live, right? Which is honoring God. And again, in the midst of that temptation, it seems like the first thing that leaves your mind is wisdom. And the reason why many people fall into temptation is because the specific temptation that's before them always seems to be far more precious and desirable than wisdom itself at that very moment. Now, considering the, the very chapter before, Right, last week's lesson. Considering the very chapter before, uh, uh, that that one dealt with the issues of the adulterous woman, um, where the scriptures say that she's dressed as a prostitute, and is is seductive in her speech, with her smooth talk. And it states uh, that he, the person who is in that temptation, he doesn't know that it will cost him his life. If he stays there in that temptation, it's going, to cost, it's going to cost him his life. And you see that in the previous chapter. And we can see why wisdom says here that all that you may desire cannot compare to her. Right? It is wisdom that pulls you away from a sensual and seductive situation and causes you to preserve your life from the trappings of sin and its consequences. And so when wisdom allows you to come to your senses you're then empowered to pull away from evil and seek sanctuary in God. For the Christian, it's, very, uh, it's the very wisdom of Christ that's given to us freely by the Holy Spirit through his word as we seek to live by it and not by our flesh. And so in this sense, wisdom is truly better than any desire, right? And Christians must walk in this wisdom. And we have the help of the Holy Spirit, right? To, to bring to memory the word of God to bring conviction to our heart in the midst of those temptations. Um, And so again, uh, wisdom needs to be uh, cherished and desired more than uh, anything else that seems to be desirable. Let's go uh, into point two. Uh, This one's wisdom's autobiography. And this is going to cover verses 12 through 21. Can someone read... Uh, verses 12 through 21. Got oh, never mind. Thank you. 
through 21. Thank you. Uh, so in this section, wisdom here begins to describe herself. And this is where we get to know her a little better. Um, it's, it's basically her autobiography. Right? Uh, she tells us where, where we find her. Right? You see that in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. And, and there, there she goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Right? So in that statement, um, you also see where wisdom is not found. Right? Evil <clears throat> is not the way of wisdom. Right? And therefore, the fear of the Lord, right, which we know is the beginning of wisdom, uh, is hatred of evil. In other words, what it means to be wise is to hate what God hates. You've got to ask yourself, do I hate what God hates? Right? If God doesn't like something, if he hates something, where am I with that? Right? And uh, we see that wisdom uh, is not there with evil. Right? Evil is not the way of wisdom. <clears throat> uh, you're not walking in wisdom if you're okay with sin and evil. Now, the wise person is disturbed by evil and is not at all okay with it. And wisdom echoes the hatred that God has for evil. Right? It echoes it. Um, and here's some examples. Because oftentimes we, we see the word hate and it seems so strong, especially when we think about God. God hating something. Uh, is God really a person who hates? Uh, a being who hates? You see Deuteronomy 12, 31. It says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, right? He's pointing out a certain way that people are worshiping. He says, don't worship in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, right? For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. And so if, if you want to learn anything from that passage is that God doesn't like that you um, Christianize pagan practices, Right? Right? You take something from the world that typically offered to some pagan deity. He doesn't want you to take it and make it into a Christian version right? and offer it to God. Already, we see that God, uh, God is hating right? a specific practice. Deuteronomy 16.22 says, And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. Right? So he's, he's telling him specifically what he does not like, what he hates. Psalm 5.5 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Okay. And Isaiah 61.8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So again, just, uh, just some examples of the things that God hates. And again, we get a, a clear picture of those things even as we study um, the Decalogue, right? The Ten Commandments. We see the things that God doesn't approve and the things that he does approve. Now, going back to our text, we see that wisdom immediately addresses some things that she hates, right? Uh, which are in line with God himself and what he hates. And she says, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So wisdom is is eye to eye with God, right? The things that God hates, wisdom also hates, right? And it, it speaks about pride and arrogance uh, and perverted speech. Now, if you've ever spoken to a person who lacks wisdom, you'll notice some of these characteristics in them, right? Pride and arrogance consume them. Now, pride can come in all shapes and sizes, right? A person filled with pride can be an outspokenly boastful person, but the proud person can also be a person with false humility or, or seeking out self-exaltation, even in ways that are subtle. But either way, this is something that God hates, right? The proud, the arrogant, and therefore wisdom hates that as well. 
And again, this is how we can discern what, uh, what is the wisdom of God and what is the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is in line with uh, God's law. Um, wisdom, uh, again, wisdom uh, hates perverted speech. Uh, and this is an indication that wisdom isn't only related to major life decisions, right? When we think about wisdom, we say, I need wisdom to decide what job I should take, right? What job opportunity I should take. But it, it, wisdom also speaks in smaller areas of your life, which, which in fact, speech is actually a big area of your life, but oftentimes we don't, we don't think that way, that speech plays a big role. Um, and again, um, wisdom is, is not only related to the big things, but also to things like what you say and how you say it. Uh, a, a future class will be given on the topic of speech, but for now, I'll just show you a verse uh, Proverbs 10, 31 through 32 says, The mouth of the righteous bring forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. And so we see that perverse speech is foolishness and is, is not in line with wisdom. So the wise person is a person who, who guards his mouth. Moving along, verses 14 through 16 say, I have counsel and sound wisdom. This is wisdom describing herself. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Uh, and so, uh, it's understood that the wisdom written in the Proverbs itself was used for kings and rulers, right? Uh, you see uh, in 1 Kings 4.34, can someone read that for us? And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who have heard of his wisdom. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Solomon, along with others, contribute to make this book what it is, right? Uh, a collection of wisdom. And we see in verses 14 through 16 that those who rule justly, including rulers, princes, and kings, they do so with wisdom, right? God's wisdom. Uh, if, if, a, if a king or a ruler is going to rule his uh, jurisdiction, and he's going to do so rightly, he's doing so on the basis of God's wisdom. Uh, wisdom, especially God's wisdom, which is true wisdom, is essential in ruling rightly. Uh, and it is when a ruler departs from God's wisdom that his rule becomes corrupt. Now, don't hear me saying that, you know, our presidents or our governors, you know, every time they make a decision, they consult the Bible. Uh, that, that's not the case, unfortunately. Um, but it is, it is placing the, the word of God as the standard, right? It is saying that if you want true wisdom, and if you want to rule with true wisdom, you're going to do that. You're going to, you're going to go to God. You're going to go to his word. Uh, and uh, it's, it's when we depart from God's word that, that things become more corrupt. Moving along, verses 17 through 21 tells us, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. And this is to say that wisdom will take care of their own, right? This reminds you of Proverbs 4, 6, which says, Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. We also see that those who seek her will find her. She's made herself available. Then verse 18, it says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold and my yield than choice silver. Now, as an example of this, we see Solomon himself, his early reign. This is a good example of this. He had material and social benefits from his wisdom. Now, material wealth is not the end goal of wisdom, but in the natural order of things, a wise person prospers because of his prudence. Right? But even more than material wealth, uh, verse 19 tells us that wisdom is more valuable than the gain of gold and silver. And wisdom points us to righteousness, which is far greater 
than material wealth. And we see this in the next verses, right? 20 through 21. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. And as Christians, uh, we see this language of righteousness, justice, and even the words inheritance and treasuries, especially as it says that wisdom grants these things for those who love me, it says. And as Christians, we can't help but think of these things with eternity in mind, right? We're promised all of these things. If you, if you notice the, the uh, parallel there, we, we're promised those things that wisdom is promising. We're promised those things in Christ. Isn't that interesting where you see that connection there? Uh, this is an indication that true wisdom is very much related to Jesus himself. Jesus walked in the way of righteousness, right? As it says there, uh, that wisdom walks. Jesus walked in the path of justice. And Jesus grants an inheritance to those who love him. And he fills their treasuries, right? And even though wisdom is described this way, it can't compete with Christ. Wisdom is saying these things. Christ is saying these things. Wisdom must never compete with Christ, right? This means that as a man seeks wisdom, he has to, in a sense, simultaneously seek Christ, the, uh, the fulfillment of all wisdom, right? Um, and, and as man seeks wisdom, he either seeks Christ in his pursuit of wisdom or he ends up with neither. He's a fool and he ends up with no Christ. <laughs> And so uh, it, it brings them together, right? Seeking wisdom in, in the fullest sense, in the ultimate sense, is, uh, is, is seeking Christ. Brings me to point three. Uh, and we'll go a little bit uh, faster here just to, to, to finish on time. Uh, point three says, wisdom was there in the beginning. Uh, can I have someone read verses 22 to 31? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his word. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth, when its fields were the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the seeds limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting the children of man. Thank you, brother. Now, I mentioned a few classes back <clears throat> about the similarities of how wisdom is described and how Jesus is described in the New Testament. And... Um, it was actually my class on uh, the second half of Proverbs 3. So if you're, you're interested in hearing that, uh, you can look, at, look for it in the website. So I won't spend too much time with that. However, I, I do want to take, uh, talk a little bit on how the early church would have interpreted this part of uh, Proverbs 8. Uh, the early church was committed to reading all scriptures with a sense of uh, canonical unity, right? They didn't see... Uh, they, didn't, they didn't divide the Bible. They unified the Bible, knowing first and foremost that all of Scripture is God's Word, God being the primary author of it. Uh, they read and understood, understood things, even in the Old Testament and the New, uh, as one story. And, and the way that they uh, interpreted parts of the Old Testament um, was also considering the things that were said in the New Testament and allowing that to shed some light into it, right? Being that it was the Holy Spirit, it was God who was the author of it all. And so because the early church was committed to reading all scriptures with that unity, uh, they would have understood what we just read, verses 22 to 31, as a reference to Christ, right? Even though it's, it's speaking, it's a description of wisdom. Not only because of how wisdom is described, but also what we read in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and also verse 30 it says 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See that? Christ is the wisdom of God. And then uh, verse 30 there, it says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so Paul's identification of the Son there with God's wisdom leaves no doubt as to who's being described there in Proverbs 8. Uh, now, the, uh, the early church understood that what's required for exegesis of a passage is not to understand wisdom apart from Christ, but to understand wisdom in connection to Christ. And so that was an important way that they uh, interpreted Scripture. In fact, I'll say this, a lot of important doctrines came from uh, Proverbs 8, actually. Um, the, the, uh, the Nicene stuff, right? The things that speak about uh, the uh, Trinity, uh, the doctrine of eternal generation. Uh, we, those are just important doctrines that uh, inform us on how we ought to understand the Trinity. And so uh, it's, it's important to see the Christological connections even though we're reading the Old Testament. Uh, Move on to point number four. Point number four is wisdom unto life. Uh, That's 32 through 36. Can someone read uh, verses 32? Thank you. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gate, waiting beside my door. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, all who hate me love death. Amen. Thank you, brother. And so here we have wisdom's final appeal, right? Uh, we see that wisdom pleads sons to listen to her. Those who keep her ways are blessed, right? And verse 32 calls them to be wise and not neglected. And then verse 34 describes those who listen to wisdom as those who watch daily at her gates and wait besides wisdom's doors. And so this is a, this is a, in an, imagine in, uh, in an illustration, right, a student who attends the house of a teacher, right? And while uh, he's there and he's eager, um, he, he, he wants to learn everything that he can, and that, that's basically the the description there, right? Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides my door. And so this is why wisdom tells us that whoever finds her finds uh, life, right? And a, a person who is eager in that way will receive the, um, the benefits of wisdom, which are equated to life itself, right? Uh, to be truly alive is to be rightly related to God, but also to other people, and even to be rightly related with creation and creation order. And this is why wisdom tells us that whoever finds her finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And again, considering the similarities of the descriptions of wisdom and with Jesus himself, we see that in the same way, those who find Christ, in the same way those who find wisdom, those who find Christ, life and favor, they, they receive uh, from the Lord. Uh, so wisdom has a goal. It has an end. Right? Wisdom uh, ought to lead us or point us to our need for, for Jesus Christ. Uh, the call then, uh, just to conclude, is to seek wisdom not only for this life but for the next. Right? Be, being alert to her cry being alert to wisdom's cry, uh, treasuring her more than silver or gold, uh, but, but not stopping in the temporal, right? Not using wisdom or taking upon yourself wisdom uh, for temporal gain. Uh, wisdom always ought to lead us to Christ. Uh, anything else is, is, is foolishness. It's not wisdom at all. And to be wise is, is to consider eternity. Uh, to only be wise in a temporal sense is really to be a fool and not to be wise at all. And therefore, if we lack this wisdom, this, James 1 tells us, let us ask God, and he gives it to us general, uh, generously without, without reproach. He doesn't hold back. We have access to it. We, we can pray and we can ask God, give me wisdom. Uh, give me wisdom. Help me live in wisdom. 
uh, and this is this is what God commands us to do. Anyway, that concludes uh, Proverbs eight. Uh, any questions or comments on that? Anything that we spoke about? Yes, ma'am. I don't have a sure. Exactly okay. Yeah, I'll write it down. Absolutely. Yeah, amen. And uh, his name is Chris, right? Okay. So Alex is the boy that my Chris is my son, and Alex is his friend. Gotcha. That's if we could pray for him because he's only like twenty. Yes. And so that's pretty serious stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, questions or comments, brother? Uh, so I, I was. So my dad is a. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And I know there's still debate on that, you know, so I, I, I'll leave that to some degree a bit open. <laughs> um, just because I know there's some debate on um, what exactly can be obtained and, uh, and, uh, and what knowledge and wisdom can we obtain from nature. And when I say nature, I mean um, nature as you look at the trees and the stars, but also as you get into science and the and, uh, particular fields of study. Uh, and this is not to say that not, there isn't any value in, in, um, in what's revealed out there, you know, as a, a person who is a psychologist or, or a person who's doing counseling. Not, there's not to say that there isn't any value at all out there. But I think it's important to, uh, especially as a Christian, to remember that the scriptures were given to us so that we would properly interpret those things out there. And so it's not to say that truth can't be found out there, but the scripture has been given to us for that purpose to interpret all of reality uh, and that being uh, final authority. And so even the doctrine of sola scriptura uh, often is misunderstood and misrepresented because a lot of people think that that doctrine means that uh, nothing else is useful. Don't read anything extra biblical. Just just read the Bible all the time. Uh, but that's not what that doctrine is. The doctrine is simply um, promoting the the authority of Scripture and how that needs to shed light on everything else. So he they can benefit from things out there. One of my fears, though, when you spend too much time studying. Um, 
out there and not so much scripture and theology is that uh, you can you can come with a bad you can come up with some bad uh, conclusions on anthropology and and the way that man is and so when you're trying to counsel an individual and you have a an unbiblical anthropology uh, you're giving them counsel without first considering that the Bible already says something about their nature right uh, the fact that they were born in sin and they have a sinful inclination those are some things that um, the doctors of the world have rejected. And so if you, if you start with that premise and you try to find solutions for someone with that misinformed anthropology, you're not going to give them the right medicine that they need. And so having the scriptures inform us in those areas needs to be um, the top priority. But hopefully that, that helped your question. So it's not to push away any of that, but to allow scripture to inform it. i got to close out. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for um, the comments as well. Um, thank you for the study. Uh, thank you for your word. Um, and, and before um, I conclude, I do want to pray for Deborah's son, Chris, and his situation. Uh, also his friend, Alex, who, who is having um, some health issues there. Um, I just want to pray for that situation. I, I pray that, um, first and foremost, I pray that Alex would recover, but also that Chris, through this uh, trial uh, and through um, the things that you're allowing to happen in his life, that he would, he would think about things eternal and that he would consider himself before a holy God and, and um, that he would seek out what he needs to do to get right with you, Lord. And I pray that Jesus Christ is preached to him, that you would send someone or something that would point him to Jesus Christ as, as Savior. So I, I pray for, for him and, and also for Alex. And Father, we thank you that you give wisdom to those who ask it and that you do not hold back. And I pray that we would seek and ask for it and that we would walk in it as Christ did. And since we're prone to fall away from it, we thank you that you sent Christ to be wisdom for us. May your spirit empower us to put off foolishness and to put on Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.